I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? What could be more alien to the universal aspirations of our peoples than war and the threat of war? Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, a nostalgia podcast dedicated to two grown men diving back into the books of their childhood and seeing what holds up. My name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell, and that was my first time ever hearing that. Yep, mine too. (laughs) Well said. I guess that works. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, So yeah, welcome to uh, to the episode. Uh, This is uh, episode 54, uh, where we jump into the book Animorphs the Revelation uh, what book number is that Mitch uh, we are looking at book number 45 and wow. uh, getting up there this is really reinvigorating the series at this point yeah this is the first book in the 10 book arc uh, of the countdown to the ending so um, very very exciting um, I can, oh, man this book really really reinvigorated me uh personally (laughs) it's yeah well it's a big day i mean this is uh uh, one of the books in the series that we've certainly been talking about reviewing for a very long time or at least i have i've read this one before but you said you hadn't no this is definitely one i haven't read before and i didn't know they started off with such a bang as far as like getting into the ending and stuff oh oh heck yeah yeah, as yeah. we're about to get into, but um, before we do that, uh, we always like to start these things out by mentioning our Patreon folks, um, keeping the show alive, keeping us funded, helping out. Um, just a quick thanks to all the people who are making that happen lately, and that's Toasty Flat Worm, uh, Patter Roast, uh, we've got the Geek Critique, no, Peter Schull, Justin Elliott, Dan, uh, Oh, I should have arranged these by who I actually paid recently. Uh, Noah Troutman, <laughs> Tim Aheen. They have different ways of organizing the names, and I just kind of click on one. Anyway, uh, Amanda it's Mimic, uh, Jeremy Baxter, Tomb Juice, Canicula, Josh Blount. A lot of these people, you know, they've been around for a long time, supporting us for a long time. So a lot of these names kind of roll off the tongue now. Tony Pizak, uh Kendra, you're still around? Kendra? I don't know. I think we may have lost Kendra. Ben Freeman, Jason Thompson kicking around still here james miola jennifer baker kelly brown kevin kosklowski uh andrew walker david c grace daniel martinoli thank all y'all anita labrada gafaro thank you so much michael blimmick and steve adams thank y'all thank y'all our patrons yeah giving us a lot really really everybody you help support the show with patreon uh it pays for all the costs of us buying new webcam equipment and, and being able to put out new episodes at a faster rate and um really just it really helps us justify this uh to our wives so we appreciate it we know you love us talking about the books that we also love talking about and uh that's possible because of you guys so thank you um if you're noticing this uh we've started live streaming every episode um this is a this is going to be a patreon exclusive right now we're kind of trying to get the ball rolling so we're announcing on our social media and stuff um but uh it will become a patreon exclusive for those guys who are uh, able to help take care of us and and produce the show so we thank you all 
Um, other quick announcements real quick. Uh, we're still trying to recoup some losses from iTunes. Uh, we lost our iTunes uh, reviews and stuff because we had to kind of resubmit the show. It was a so, dark day. Uh, the iTunes it was. purge of 2017. It was. <laughs> so uh it really would extremely help out the show if you if you're um if you love the show but you and you know you don't want to put money out or you know that's not something that you would normally do uh another way you can help out the show is leaving us a review on itunes or whatever um app that you listen to podcasts on or what you listen to us on uh leave a comment or review whatever you can do that helps spread the word of the show and uh bring in new subscribers especially as we're about to breach this new era of the podcast where uh we're not just talking about animorphs anymore as you heard in the uh opening today we are jumping into so many book series of our childhood and um book series that we love and can't wait to share that with everyone yeah so, and you know what i'd you. like to see more of our our, our kind of freestyle episodes uh, we just very recently did a very animorphs christmas uh it was so much fun just going through and talking about our favorite uh ideas for this concept of what an animorphs christmas special would have been like and you know i, I could foresee us doing that with quite a few episodes in the future if that's something you guys like to see we can do more of those certainly yeah, but not today. Today we are structured and we have a point, and that is to talk about Animorphs: The Revelation. And I am incredibly excited. I don't have your notes in front of me, so I'm going to be winging it. But I, I read this book um, just you know last week, and uh, it still feels fresh in my mind. So oh, totally. I'm ready and to jump and in. as soon as I read it, you know, uh, we were ready to do the episode. Unfortunately, our schedules didn't align quite. Uh, to allow that but yeah let's dive right in okay but this is pretty quick for us going from uh our last our very animorphs christmas to uh reading a book and then wanting to jump into it so quickly because we love this book and it's not that we didn't love every animorphs book we've read so far but uh i feel like it did kind of like start lagging a little bit getting through some of those ghost written episodes um even the ones we enjoyed you know it's not it's not quite like these ones. And I know these are ghostwritten. Some of these are ghostwritten. Uh, but the oh, yeah. plot is moving. It's moving. Hardcore. Yeah, they've finally so. been given permission, I guess, from Scholastic to uh, start wrapping things up a little bit, tying up some loose ends, um, moving the f- plot forward in ways that can't be undone, necessarily. Oh, yeah. And and this <laughs> is the start of that. This is uh, Book 45, The Revelation. Um, just taking a look at the cover, you know it's like a messed up one because he's morphing ant, which we know they don't do anymore. And it says sometimes yeah, which was, there's no escape even for the animorphs. Ooh. Which I like. This is one of those animorphs books where there wasn't a whole ton of morphing outside of their main battle morphs uh, because it's such a plot driven book and, and such a more talky book. Um, so that ant morph is from a very particular scene. It's surprising made the cover. Um, yeah, that's, that's what surprised me too. Yeah. What's the inside cover look like? I don't have it in front of me. (laughs) I can't tell you because unfortunately the copy that I have, it's, uh, it's, it's taped uh, (laughs) together here for some reason. I, oh, it's, it's like a, uh, what do you call it? A makeshift book cover just out of tape. Oh, well, let's assume it didn't have any relevance to the book itself. No, no, Um, no. They, they show it on the wikis. Um, and I feel like it's my civil duty to pull that up quick. So while you talk about your uh, thoughts on the cover, cause it's okay. I mean, it's really, really red and orange, you know? 
Yeah, which uh, to me says danger and, you know, other scary things. Um, but what's this? Can you read the tagline real quick on the front? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's um, sometimes there's no escape even for the Animorphs. I mean, that's actually a pretty apt tagline. That's not silly. No, um, it, it makes sense for this one. Shows they're getting a little more serious. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, you didn't even up to the end. You didn't get a lot of changes with these covers until the last few, which I thought they actually the last few book covers got kind of artistic um, with what they were doing, especially the last one, which we'll talk about more when we get to it. But uh, kind of does a uh, spoof on a Rolling Stones album cover, but works really well for the series too. Oh, um, hang on. Oh, did you not know that? Am I throwing facts at you? Yeah, I guess I don't know what you're referencing. I'll show I'll show you once we get to the uh, book fifty four. Okay, I'm going to the inside cover um, from the Seropedia, and it is uh, God. I don't know. Is that a scene from the book? Marco is in Antmorph, and he's in the car, and it looks like his dad. Yeah, that's driving. where. Yep, that's where he morphs Ant to. Uh, his dad is questioning. We'll get to that scene later, but his dad's questioning whether he saw the morphine or not, like whether he's just going crazy. So Margaret okay. switched to morph ant just to, just to mess with them, make sure to show them that's real. Gotcha. Well, yeah, it looks pretty cool. Actually, it's a, a pretty decent scene from the uh, uh, book. Then and there's even like a, looks like a Pepsi can in the uh, uh, can holder in the car. Oh, cool. Um, <laughs> well, uh, why don't you jump right into the back of the book, and then we'll uh, get into the book itself. Right on. You want me to uh, read it? Yeah, I'll read the next one when I'm more prepared. <laughs> oh, okay, sure. Uh, things were already really weird, fighting aliens, battling to save Earth, and still trying to be normal. Marco, the other Animorphs and Axe, are almost used to it. Almost. But things are changing. The Yurk invasion of Earth started out passively, secretly. But now everything seems to be stepped up. Even Marco's father is talking about some top-secret project at his job. Something about developing zero space. Marco doesn't even know whether his father is a controller, but he does know he's not going to let the Yurks win this one. They've already got his mother, and Marco will do anything it takes to save his father. Anything. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so that's, so that's, yeah. Right off the bat, it sounds like holy crap. This this book sounds like it's moving the plot right ahead. Yeah. Well, I, I, mean, I think actually from that summary, you could kind of see this as uh, maybe it's a plot that you know they could twist into being a pretty normal Animorphs book. But once you read that cold open, which you started reading the book uh, a couple hours before I did, and you just texted me and you're like, "Hey, this cold open, it's gonna blow your mind." And it really does. I mean, it's uh, it's Marco and his dad and his stepmom all sitting around in their house. And um, his dad oh, his dad just comes home and starts talking about his day at work. And he's really excited, saying that they're uh, getting into some new revolutionary technology that's really, I and mean, it could be as big as, like, landing on the moon and stuff. And uh, Marco's just kind of zoning out. His dad's a, you know, a physicist and an engineer, and it's just, like, you know, normal, normal... Uh, job talk that he doesn't care about uh but it's the interaction between stepmom and his uh dad that they start they actually call it uh what he's been working on zero space and it just clicks with marco it's like oh my gosh uh my dad is working on 
advanced technology that's going to bring attention immediately to the Yerks and whatever forces are on Earth who, uh, who wouldn't want humans to be developing something like this um, for a quick invasion. Yeah, no, this was definitely one of the best cold openings that uh, we've had in one of these books for a long time. Um, right off the bat, you know, you're like, where is this going? Where's, what is his dad talking about? It's full of math. And, you know, I'm like Marco. I'm not one of those mathers. So I'm kind of right where Marco is. I'm lost right up until you get to the the end of the first chapter where his dad mentions what they're calling it. And he's like, you know, uh, Z, zero space, Z space. And it just clicks. Yeah, it was, it was so great. Made me have to text you. <laughs> yeah, because it's up until a couple pages in, you're like, OK, they're about to set the plot. And then, you know, you realize the ramifications of what they're doing. They're setting in motion events where Marco's father is not going to be able to hang around uh, any longer unless Marco steps in. Uh, or at least he's not going to be able to be free. He's not going to be able to not have a yerk in his head. So um, right off the bat, you know you're going to get a different animal story. And I think straight off from Chapter 2, it's uh, Marco diving head first. And, and it even I love how it's like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and say that. I think this book is kind of separated into two parts. You have part of it trying to be a normal animorphs book. Uh, and then you have the second part of it that is grabbing it by the, you know, like back of the neck and pulling it into uh, the end of the book series. So you have uh, a fairly normal scene where Marco, you know, freaks out, calls Jake and they, you know, they get together to the barn and discuss this. And just like previous Animorphs books, the other Animorphs are like, hey, this has to do with your family. So you're going to be calling the shots on this one. It's kind of similar to the book where Marco tried to save his mom or, you know, was trying to work with her against the Yerks or whatever, where they're like, Marco, you're going to call the shots because it's your family. But instead of Marco being this analytical, you know, realistic, uh, you know, cipher who can break down the events and pick the coldest option that's going to let them win, he actually lets his emotions get to the better of them, which makes this such a uh, important book and in, in heading us into the end of the series because he makes the wrong decision. He's, he's emotional. He's not his analytical self. And uh, it's what really sets this uh, plot in motion. Well, yeah, I feel like um, a lot of emphasis is put on his decision as, you know, being the wrong one. And <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking if, if they would have preferred to let the Yerks take his dad. But uh, I feel like he made the right call in the end, um, getting him out nice. of there and making it appear as though they both died. Uh, was if this leads to if this leads to the end of the series where um, possibly millions of people die, it's a real ethical, ethical quandary. Would it have been more safe for them to enter a Tom scenario where Marco's just going to have to live as a, uh, you know, someone living with a Yerk? Or as we see later, would the Yerks have just tried to take the entire family and he would have had to do this anyway? Exactly. You know? Exactly. So I feel like it was in their best interest, especially if his dad is clearly smart enough to be working on something as advanced as Z-Space. You know, sticking with the free Horkbajir, sticking with the Chi. <laughs> yeah, well, this go. is just, this shows how, I mean, obviously it's a book series and they were trying to lengthen it as much as they could. That's why we have so many different plots where they're, you know, they just get away safe and uh, you have some deus ex machinas and stuff like that uh, that saved the day at the last minute. But this whole situation from, you really could have this been like a 20 to 30 book series or even less than that because the situation is so fragile. These kids have this morphing ability, and there's so many little things that could happen that would just 
switch it over to their lives being in chaos, being out in the open, uh, running from the Yurks. And it's it's amazing that we haven't had one of those situations yet. And they immediately get backed into a corner here, and Marco has to make a decision of, you know, whether he can be a normal kid anymore. And, uh, man, this is just everything we've wanted out of this series. This is, this is the stuff, this is why the David arc is so good, in my opinion, because we see a kid lose everything because of his interaction with the Yerks. Except now it's happening to these characters that we've been following for 40-some books uh, who we care about. So, yeah, uh, it's just, it's so much, ah, uh, it's so exciting. <laughs> it gets, it's, I mean, it, it, it really changes the series when they start bringing their parents in on the, the war um, because it's so different from everything that we've seen so far, them hiding out in the barn, all that, you know. Uh, there's going to be a point where there's no more barn hangouts and strategies. It's going to be the Free hork Valley. I'm surprised they didn't make the Chi come to the hork Valley and, like, put a hologram up of the barn so they could hang out in one. Um, <laughs> I guess, yeah. But let's just, let's move to the plot. So So we got the cold open. Uh, he calls Jake, and, and Jake's obviously with you're, his brother. Yeah, you're right. Immediately, they, they call a group meeting and strategize about it. Marco kind of takes note that uh, Cassie doesn't really seem to trust Marco on these kind of family matters, and Jake, you know, relies on Cassie's intel, and he just notices, like, yeah, they still think I'm going to make, you know, some kind of dumb decision here. And and this is where we're at with the Animorphs. He notices it through a glance that Cassie gives Jake. Like they're all so deep into this uh, mindset of this of being animorphs and, and these warriors that like they're this is the way they think that he sees a glance from Cassie to Jake knows immediately that they're not trusting him completely like they've done before and know that he's going to get emotional over this and, th- and they're right um, but <laughs> but Marco being Marco uh, he can be kind of scary sometimes especially towards the end of the series oh definitely yeah and and, i mean i think he was exactly in the right here he just has his friends kind of stake out and watch his dad um and you know lo and behold the very next uh evening or whatever he intercepts kind of a early morning phone call um some co-worker calling his dad saying you know another guy's dead you got to come over here and and help me tell his wife and uh if marco hadn't spoken to his dad the night prior and, you know, asked about his job and everything and how it was going, Marco probably wouldn't have known anything about that. You know, he would have been none the wiser and his dad would have been taken. Um, so again, extreme lucky coincidence that he happened to, uh, discover that his dad's working on Z space, but yeah. And luckily he's smart enough to figure out that this phone call what it means you know some coworker randomly dies who's also a part of this huge project and oh we need you to come over here and help with the grieving widow like the story doesn't at, really yeah, make sense at 4 a.m or whenever it was it's super early yeah if, without someone knowing you know being in this lifestyle they would have taken it for granted and, and gone over and tried to help or whatever and taken by the yurks but luckily marco pieces it together and um and this is when he has to make a choice <laughs> Well, yeah, and the first choice, I feel like, is who to call in for backup. Uh, Or maybe does he try some other people, or does he go straight for Rachel? He goes for Rachel, I'm pretty sure. Um, Again, you have to check the notes. I don't have any in front of me, but... um, My my notes say Marco springs into action and summons Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, that's that's the gist of it. He gets Rachel, because, you know, in a fight, if a fight's about to start, uh, Rachel's the one to have, and... Uh, we're obviously going to be getting into more of that plot line here in a couple of books, but 
Um, but no, he calls her up and uh, and yeah, that's she she just on her way. <laughs> well, they they tail you know his father to this this guy's house, and Marco's quite familiar with this guy, I guess, and um, they they just watch essentially the the scene play out, everything. Uh, kind of how we've seen the Yurks operate, you know, I think the best view we've got of it was um, in, in uh, Megamorphs number four, back to before, when we saw Tobias's initiation into the sharing. Um, it, it was very reminiscent of that, where uh, Marco's dad comes in, you know, expecting something. They, well, just to set the scene, i just correct you a little bit. Rachel's not there immediately. So Marco exactly. tells his dad and he sees he, he you know, he his dad gets there, goes inside and Marco's like still wrestling with this choice he has to make. And he glances through the window or a back window or something and sees the mini York pool, like the little hot tub, uh, kind of like how they took Jake. And like you said, back to before um, and they and they're forcing his dad down to it. And that's when he has to make the choice when he sees his father like seconds away from getting a yurk in his head. And that's when he goes without even realizing what he's doing. He morphs gorilla, uh, and and busts through the window. And you know, this, that's when the fight starts. Yeah. I mean, I guess he didn't necessarily go there planning to do that. Um, but you know, I knew certainly, and I think most readers would know that Marco's not going to just sit there and watch them take his father and go, well, I guess I got to work on getting him back now, too, you know. And maybe he would have gone the other way if it weren't for his mother. If he would have been one of the other animals or something, maybe he could have let his parent be taken and rationally thought, oh, I can try to free them later or something. Uh, But Marco's got too much baggage with his mom. He's basically given up on getting his mom back at this point. Um, And he's not going to let it happen to his dad. He's not going to let the yurk touch his ear. So he goes in full gorilla, and that's when the fighting starts. And when it gets bad, you know, he tries to get his dad away and it does get him away from the yurk pool. But when he gets bad and, and Marco starts getting a little hurt, um, I think he gets his um, like his, his chest rip o- ripped open kind of a little bit. Or so he gets a really bad wound. Um, it's a close his, counter his battle with Horkbridger. So, yeah, he's, he's taking some some damage. I wrote that yeah. he uh, he morphs into his heavy mane and then makes excellent <laughs> use of stage hazard items to help free his dad. <laughs> Cause we've been we've been playing a lot of Smash Brothers lately. <laughs> he's 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 picking up the furniture and he's you know bashing Horkbajir and and human controllers and stuff with couches yeah. and chairs and so he plays with items. Ugh. Exactly, yeah, it's it's awful. But Rachel shows up and helps out and um, everybody gets away and then you know we've kind of got what you'd expect with uh, Marco and his father making their escape. Um, Marco just kind of lays everything on the line and and reveals everything to his freaked out dad. Yeah, they get him out of there. And um, how does this? How, what do you know? Say this goes on exactly. Are they in the car, um, leaving the place? Are they? Because I know Marco. Um, they get into his dad's car. Yeah, right. And they and start tearing driving. down the street. Yeah, and they're the Corkwoodier are after them in like a van or something. Only for a, they get away. Yeah, 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 they get away. But then his dad starts like, this is where we move on to his dad, like questioning whether he really saw him morph and stuff, right? After he's like told him the entire backstory of the Animorphs. I guess he just popped open the books and started going, uh, number one, the invasion. <laughs> <laughs> Here, dad, listen to the Thought Speak podcast. You'll understand everything. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, those early episodes, they'll they'll hook you. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's crazy. He glosses over it, but he tells his dad from what it sounds like everything, like the missions they've been on, the things they've gone through. Um, you know, he tells him about his mom, which is a huge revelation in itself to his dad that his mom's still alive. Um, or no, he doesn't tell him that here. That happens later, right? Yeah, he's still waiting to reveal that. <laughs> yeah, 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 but he tells him everything about the Animorphs and, and the Yurks and everything. His dad can't believe it. He can't even believe what he just saw. And uh, Marco morphs or starts to morph to Amp, uh, Ant to show him um, that, hey, this is real. This is happening right here uh, just to convince him. And he's like, OK, I believe you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he does a, a lot of morphs and some of them are only like half morphs. Um, that's actually one of the facts that I saw on Seropedia. Um, speaking of Seropedia, real quick, while I got it pulled up, I saw some interesting uh, entries here. Um, this is, uh, like you said, the first book in the uh, final arc of the series, which is the last ten books. Um, that's the revelation to the beginning. Um, this marks apparently the second time where an Animorph acquires a morph that they already had. And that's when Marco acquires another hork in this book. He'd already gotten a hork morph back in the Prophecy. I mean, it's not saying it's not possible. I mean, they, this is just a different hork that he's acquired. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose. Um, and I mean, it's not like they can't acquire different hork because they're all technically different, I guess. Um, well, yeah, just like humans. If you if you acquired different humans, it wouldn't affect the DNA or anything. It'd just be a different human. Sure, and I think he actually acquires another human uh, as well. Um, one interesting fact, though, Seropedia points out is this marks the final instance of Axe playing with the spoken word while in his human morph. Um, he apparently stopped speaking with multiple mouth sounds after the conspiracy. Um, but he continued to repeat or play with a word or two occasionally until this book. After this, apparently, no more uh, running axe speaking joke. <laughs> well, it's because things get serious after this book. You know, he's not he doesn't have time to play with words. I, yeah, I suppose. And apparently this book was also uh, sold with a demo of the Animorphs PC game, Animorphs Know the Secret. I don't think I played that game. I had the PS1 game. Um, where you're like going through different levels, you morph dragonfly at one point and stuff like that, collecting animorphs coins. Um, not a super faithful book or game, but <laughs> um, what was the PC game? Do you know that one? Oh God, no, I I have no idea. I think a long, long time ago, like late '90s, early aughts, I might have played like one Flash game they had on. Uh, the Animorphs website that was probably just like moving a icon around through a maze or something. But yeah, Animorphs video games uh, have not lived up to the series <laughs> or what they deserve. I, I I threw it into Google real quick, and it looks like um, a classic RPG. Uh, I, I see some Horkbidger lined up on one end, and their Battlemorphs lined up on the other side, and it looks like uh, you know you attack back and forth um and then there's some not open world stuff but someone running around some pretty ugly looking levels like, <laughs> oh, some of it some of it looks kind of cool though oh huh. really yeah i don't know i mean it, w there's no reason why anyone would but it'd be crazy to see a modern day 
um, Animorphs game, what they could do with that if, if they actually cared about it. Yeah, that would certainly be cool. Uh, one last thing is that uh, Marco tells his dad that he can morph into about 20 other animals um, when the actual uh, number of morphs Marco has is over 40. I wouldn't be surprised if he's forgotten some of them. I mean, I, I'd be hard for me, unless I wrote them down, it'd be hard for me to remember some of my morphs. It would be hard for um, you to remember turning into certain animals. Maybe not. <laughs> the, the experience of turning into them would probably... Oh, man, I totally memory. blanked out those two hours I spent as a moth. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, when you're morphing, like, cockroach and butterfly and all these other things, it's like, maybe you forget the moth morph as as well as the other ones. Uh, who knows? But uh, I like I like the little line where Marco's like, you want to see my lobster? Yeah, <laughs> that was a good one, actually. You want to see my velociraptor? Acquired that one <laughs> that, in a megamorph. I don't know... Who even remembers uh, their dinosaur morphs? Um, Only Tobias. Yeah, he's got yeah. he's got anti chronoton DNA. That is my one regret of the series. That in the last book, one of them didn't bust out like a T Rex morph at a pivotal moment. That would have been incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Incredibly stupid. No. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Uh, at this point in the story, um, you know, we're we're maybe the first third of the way through and and you know marco's already recruited his father so to speak or is moving him to safety um so after after coming clean and revealing everything out you know and explaining to his dad like we can't go to the police uh sorry but nora has already been taken um we we can't we can't go save your new wife forget about her um we're, we're going to take you to the only safe place I know of right now. And he takes him to the Chi, which is the smartest thing. And I'm, I'm glad that he, he did that. Because um, he takes him there and introduces him to the, you know, robot dogs. And uh, mm -hmm. they ask him if he likes dogs, which he kind of seems to do. This could have led to them all being taken anyway. In fact, now they were able to strike first and kind of get control of the situation. So I think they should be thanking marco a little bit well and to tell you the truth if any of them were in his position i don't think any of them would sit there and allow a loved one to be taken right before their eyes i think jake would have if he would have seen a way for him to get out of it where his family the rest of his family isn't taken or if he would still say you're free i think jake would have let his parents be taken but i suspect that if anyone in your family gets taken your odds of being taken as well go up significantly yeah well i mean look at um melissa we gotta bring melissa chapman back in the story at this point i suspect two... she is taken probably but there was a long period where her both her parents were taken and her home life was ruined because she was still a normal kid trying to like figure out why her parents are completely different so that's a that's at least an example of Yorks just don't care about kids half the time you know melissa was an interesting uh uh character that frankly should have gotten her own book it would be super interesting to have a book from a non-anamorph perspective and you know with how heavily her father is involved in the Yerk invasion um just a a story from an outsider's perspective would have been incredibly interesting especially if it ended with her getting taken like yeah like the Animorphs, you know, think they they've saved the day or whatever, and they've foiled another Yerk plot. Except that 
unbeknownst to them, you know, Melissa still gets taken. And yeah, in the chat, uh, U.S. Dutch Kitty eighty four uh, says it's a lost opportunity to bring her into the story, and I actually would have really liked a book uh, that was from Melissa Chapman's uh, perspective, um, where um, you know she starts, she comes into contact with the Yurks, or like finds out what's really going on, and uh, it's just a whole book from someone's perspective who's outside of. Um, this whole war looking in. Uh, that would have been really cool. Well, yeah, and it'd be a really, really cool way to show Rachel's progression as a character uh, because Melissa is somebody who knows her, obviously, as, like, you know, the the beautiful uh, gymnast girl, not this hardened battle warrior. So to see her yeah. show up on a battlefield suddenly would be really jarring for her. Yeah, the mole rat. <laughs> totally. Totally. Uh, but yeah, like I said, you know, the, the rest of the team is like, oh, of course, you know, it'd be Marco who's going to propel us into more open kind of warfare with the Yerks. But here we go. Uh, we've, we've got to, um, you know, work on protecting his dad now. And, uh, so, well, their, their first plan, uh, Jake contacts the Chi and immediately gets them working on, a scenario where they can fake uh, Marco and his dad. Um, how do, what do they fake? They fake them getting killed. Well, yeah, well, yeah. They they <laughs> they start working on a plan. Don't ask me working. questions that are outside the order and structure that I've carefully <laughs> created and crafted for this episode. Okay. Well, they they, they always, work on a plan with you the Yurks. Like throw these the pop chi. quiz questions like. Oh, you know, on page 84, what kind of car did they make their getaway in? You know, do you remember? No, it's not my it's not my intention to. to You always try and stump me with these. uh... No, I'm just working without notes. So I'm trying to, you know, remember what's going on in the book. And they do say that Jake is he's contacted the Chi and we find out that they're going to get an elaborate plan to um, have basically a hologram of Marco and his dad. And this is very dangerous for the Chi themselves uh, to be like Dracon beamed and killed. Um, this is they start formulating that plan, which makes so much sense. I don't, I can't believe they didn't do this earlier, but um, th- well, I think the animals still wanted to have their normal lives, they still wanted to go to school and be kids. <laughs> oh, sure, sure, yeah. Well, they were very hopeful in the beginning, <laughs> and now it's become quite clear to them that you know the Andalites are not providing the backup that they've so desperately craved from book one. Um, and the the direction I did not see this book's plot going in necessarily was Marco suggesting that, hey, why don't we use my dad's new uh, Z-Space technology to, uh, uh, you know, try and build some kind of like Z-Space wiretap and uh, listen in on your plans and, and stuff. And yeah, uh, and it, it, the, the plot basically becomes a MacGuffin driven plot where they need uh, some parts from his dad's work to be able to build something like this. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where the plot, I wasn't expecting that either. I thought this was going to be completely based around Marco revealing to his dad, everything, but they, they add up actual plot into this too. Um, I do want to touch on the fact that, um, one of the best parts of this, and I think towards uh, something I'll love throughout these books, once they start freeing their parents and, and everybody gets into this war, uh, his dad is incredibly frustrated, uh, with taking orders from these kids which I, I totally get. These these are, you know, 14, 15-year-olds at this point. 
Um, maybe 16 year olds. I think it was the series, but yeah, they're, um, they're probably closer to, I would say 16, 17 now. Yeah. So his dad is like, I'm the adult, you know, we're going to, you got to listen to me. And Marco's like, that's not the way this is going to work. We've been in this war. Uh, you've got to do exactly what we say, or we're all going to die and kind of shuts his dad up. But, uh, I think we're going to be dealing more and more of that. And I think uh, from what I remember in the last few books, they actually say how they kind of placate their parents by making them part of the group as far as like the meetings and stuff. Um, but they have to balance that because, you know, the parents aren't, aren't going to be ordered around by a bunch of kids. No, I uh, remember them doing uh, a really good job of sort of showing that strained relationship with the group of parents uh, that sort of end up just getting dumped at the hork Valley um, throughout, you know, the remainder of the series and, and how they're constantly, like, arguing with the kids about their plans because they all sound so suicidal <laughs> like they have. Yeah, and I don't think the parents realize what their kids are capable of anymore. If one of these parents tried to take charge and could put them in danger, I think the kids would shut them down pretty quick. I mean, they wouldn't kill them or anything, but they'd, they would trap them or, or put them somewhere where they couldn't lose this war for them. Right, yeah. It, it. I mean, they're not screwing around at this point, as evidenced by the fact that they're willing to uh, fake their deaths to, like you said, you know, give up everything, give up his normal life, Marco and his father have here. Um, There's a great moment, too, where Marco's like, I mean, he, he kind of comes to the realization he's not going to go to school anymore. No more book reports. No more, you know, just hanging out at the mall. Like, his life is over from this point over, from this point on. And that... As a reader of the series, uh, it was incredibly like depressing and exciting at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, no more uh, Marco hanging out at school, like you said. Uh, no more just going to the mall. Like Marco is, uh, for all intents and purposes, just like confined to the Hork-Bajir Valley as well um, for a, a good portion of the end of the series here. Now, uh, hey, but he gets to hang out with the Chi. He, That's he gets fun. to hang out with the Chi, he gets to hang out with Axe a lot more, Tobias, you know, good buddies. The losers of the of the war effort. Sure. Um, you know, and the, the, it skips ahead pretty quickly, I, I thought, with uh, Axe and uh, Marco's dad just being able to build this Z-Space device really easily and quickly and just kind of start listening in on your transmissions. Um, yeah, they realize it's not just a way to communicate with uh, possibly the Andalite fleet or someone else out there. They they can use it as a covert, um, you know, device and, and actually listen to what the Yerks are planning. Totally. And it really works to their advantage here specifically because they are able to discover that not only is Visor 1 here and on Earth, back on Earth after, I guess, failing off planet on their, their other conquest... Um, and she's on the chopping block, slated to be executed pretty quick. <laughs> this shows how quickly they're willing to move now, because I think these three plot elements could have been their own books in earlier Animorphs books. Like, you have him revealing everything to his father and coming out, and then you have the plot of, like, trying to get this device from his dad's work, because um, that leads to a whole big fight, right? We kind of skimmed over that. That was a whole big... Uh, thing where they went with the chi to his work and um and tried to get the stuff they tried to get the stuff for the device what are you i i don't think so dude because all i wrote in my notes was um 
Marco suggests they get his dad to remake the Z-Space radio device, and with help from the Chi, they fake the deaths of Marco and his dad at the hands of the Irks. Yeah, and I think they, they actually go to his work, and it's like a, it's not not a long thing, but I think they, there's actually a, a scuffle there. <laughs> okay. Uh, I might be making that up, but I, I thought it was I thought it was true. Hey, man, it, it, if it happened in your mind in the story, then then it's there, and it added to it, so... <laughs> Well, hey, lead us in the next part, and I'm going to check on something. Yeah, yeah, you go back and check your uh, non-existent notes. But, um, you know, discovering that Visor 1, Marco's mom, is on Earth and about to be killed is like uh, a wake-up call for Marco. You know, not only is he pretty ecstatic that his mom is still alive, because at this point, I think he still kind of was on the fence as to whether or not she had survived their last encounter. Um, but lo and behold, she's alive. And now he's like, this is my last chance. If I'm ever going to get my mom back, uh, I got my dad, you know, I saved him from the Irks. Why the heck not finally save my mom? And, uh, they plot pretty quick to go steal a bug fighter, um, in order to rescue the visitor. Um, and, Wow, my notes are just like I must have flew through this because. <laughs> well, well, hold so on. I, I do want to. I do want to talk about something that they are dealing with this in the book. He does eventually tell his dad about Visitor One and his mom and all of that. And instead of his dad being shocked and like excited by the idea that his mom's alive, his dad is just asking about their stepmom, his stepmom, and and telling uh, Marco that he's in love with his stepmom Nora. And he wants to know how, if they can get Nora. When are we going to free Nora? And this is incredibly frustrating to Marco. This is a big subplot of the book. Is Marco's frustration with his dad not being as excited as he was when he found out his mom was alive. His real mom. And obviously his dad's dealing with other things. He, he kind of got over his mom. He grieved for a long time. And he remarried because he was in love with someone else. And that, I love the idea that Marco doesn't fully wrap his head around that concept to him that's his mom you can't replace her with someone else but honestly his dad moved on and throughout this book his dad is constantly like when are we gonna go save her and margaret keeps pushing it to the side pushing it to the side and i think that leads to a after the events of what you're talking about right now it leads to a pretty big uh event for marco and his character but uh but like you said uh they figure out that uh visor one is uh, up for up in the chopping block uh, to be killed. Finally, it's kind of like the end of Visor, you know, throughout Visor, where she's been put on trial. Except trial's over; she's been convicted, and she's uh, convicted to die of Kendrona starvation. So, oh yeah, so um, they got her fastened to the old uh, uh, feeding pier. I guess it's a she's above a it, like, like she's being they, yeah, uh, like a them yurk crucifixion right within yeah. the, the Kendrona area. Yeah, but they they uh, they figure out a way to uh, steal a bug fighter or one of the more new advanced bug fighters, and you get a cool scene where like Axe is trying to figure out the controls, and they figure out how to like um, they can't like get it to where it needs to be because they don't know the entrance personally where they're gonna take it, uh, but they fly it so crazy uh, that they can activate the. Um, autopilot that'll take them back to the york pool well, that's an it's they weren't expecting to take this underwater route to the york pool yeah either yeah it's a totally new entrance to the york pool it's a new um kind of 
not spaceport, that's the wrong word for it, but <laughs> it's a it's like a hangar, a huge hangar with all these bug fighters in it coming in and out, and you even have a blade ship in uh dry dock uh being repaired and stuff. It's like a subterranean boathouse. It shows how big uh this this new addition to the Yerk Pool is. And uh it's interesting they say specifically a blade ship. They don't say the blade ship, they say that there is a blade ship. In dry dock. Well, perhaps there's That's, more than one at this point. Well, it's the first time they've ever hinted towards that, so, and they say it pretty matter of factly. But interesting, yeah. Uh, so the interesting thing here is they uh, just all decide to go Horkbajir because it's like the safest way to infiltrate. Now they, you know, don't exactly stand out um, in that morph, and uh, you know, real quick. They they can see where Visor One is. Uh, she stands out on the pier, uh, kind of isolated, and a, a struggle, a battle breaks out right away, um, and uh, Visor One manages to break free during this little encounter. Well, they they I thought they got her free. Is that all right? Uh, they're quickly discovered and a struggle to free the captive one V1 breaks out yeah it's just kind of a mix on who does it but um, wow it's a close call scene well yeah and you have um, here's the thing is you have them being dropped off by Bugfighter onto the pier and it's like Marco and Rachel right like two of them or just a few of them are there while uh, Jake and a bunch of and Axe and a bunch of other ones are basically dogfighting other bug fighters in the dome of the Yerk Pool above them, and it's pure chaos. You have tons of Horkbeard trying to run up this pier to fight them, uh, while they're trying to protect Visor One and not have her be trampled uh, by the fighting. They're in you know, full battle morph. Um, it's just it's just complete chaos, and uh, while they're fighting. Visor One, the real Visor One, uh, slips out of um, Marco's mom's ear and trying to get. She's so desperate and crazed uh, for Kendrona. She she tries to leave her host and drop into the water, but through just like luck of the draw, she falls onto the pier itself and is trying to like inch herself into the water or the in the Kendrona pool. And um, at the same time, Marco's mom, who's got so many broken bones and is all beat up. Um, she's trying to um, get to Visor One to kill her. Okay. <laughs> yes, this happens. And I thought, yeah. you know, it's it's that's almost what we too do. We that, recap the book. It's almost too bad that Visor One wasn't given, you know, a little bit more of a character send off. But it actually fits pretty perfectly. Uh, if you were to read this right after Visor, I think, um, where it's a fitting death. You know, she tries to flee. Um, her host, uh, which is, I think, one of the most disgraceful ways for a Yerk to die. And, uh, yeah, I think it's it's Marco who ends up, like, stomping on her, isn't it? Yeah, no, 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 no. It's, um... Is it his mom? Uh, this, this, is, this is a great send-off to Visor 1. And like you said, I wish they would have done more with, um... Um... With her, like, her actual character and talking and stuff. But the Yerk itself is starved and just insane. Uh, but what's great about this death of visor one is it's not just his mom and it's not just marco it's both of them so his mom uh starts i think it's uh she oh gosh i wish i wish we would have had this in the notes or written it down but she she 
has half of it and Marco uh, in Morph steps on the other half. It's like they kill, they both kill Visor One. That's the important part. Um, they kill her together. And it's like such a relief and catharsis for both of these characters, her having to live with Visor One in her head this entire time and, and you know, make compromises and deals and all this stuff with her while she's doing evil things. And then Marco having to, you know, deal with this person who's kept his mom captive. Um, they both get the catharsis of killing her. And that's the end of Visor One being killed by both of them together. And uh, it's pretty incredible. And then they get uh, Marco's mom onto the bug fighter who, that comes in for a last minute save while they think they're really dead. Because <laughs> Visor One or Visor Three is, uh, he's just arrived. Uh, and he's morphing something crazy again, as Visitor 3 does. Yeah, exactly. He gets a little bit of a cameo in this book. He's not in there for too long. Um, and you know what I realized? That this really ends the whole Visitor 1 subplot for Marco that started back in his introductory book, I think it was book 5. Uh, and yeah, wow. Uh, 40 books later, <laughs> we've got a conclusion to the Visitor 1 subplot. And now it's all going to be about how Marco's family sort of uh, mends itself and, and makes its way through the uh, war. Yeah, I mean, you talk about how um, how you know this book is different, how it's leading into the end of the series, is the fact that we see the end of a major character, a major villain. This is Visor 1. This is the Visor who got her own entire separate book uh, to, to personify her and give her character. Uh, it's a big deal. Totally. And, uh, yeah, you know, Marco's mom is also a very important character, a very key player in the war because of all the uh, knowledge that she's accrued um, from spending so much time with the Yurks. She knows how they work. You know, she knows uh, all about their their inner structuring, all their secrets. Um, She's freaking Visor One, man. Like, uh, even even if the Yurks not in her head, you know, the human host still knows everything that that Yurk learned basically and uh yeah like i said she's a key player throughout the rest of the series and uh we don't expect her to you know sit out the plot with the rest of the parents sitting at the hork valley yeah so i want to uh i want to do a live reading how do you feel about that hey knock yourself out brother okay so uh, hold on. I'm right there at the at the edge of it. I'm trying to find the exact part. Keep talking for a second. <laughs> okay, I'm actually <laughs> looking at the uh, uh, little end part for uh, the next book, the Deception, because um, I, I can't remember what that was. Uh, but it, it's really already interesting. Really making me want to read the next book, uh, just based on what I've read right here. I don't know if you read the little snippet at the end, but. It's a good one, man. We're getting into some really good books here. Uh, this one basically just ends, yeah, like I said, with uh, Marco taking his mom back to the Horkbajir Valley, reuniting. Let me him. let me cut in real quick with this live reading since I don't want to move past it before we do live reading, but I got it right here. Is it so, okay? All right, you go. It's it's Visor One's death. I think it's worth reading uh, for anyone who hasn't read it, or you know, it's it's, oh, totally. it's pretty sure. exciting. Yeah, so. Uh, they have they're fighting these elite porcupine. They have like these blue bands on their arms. So just to give you context, uh, Jake took out the two remaining blue bands just before we were sliced in their mobile cuisine art of war. 
Uh, I'm losing a Jake, Rachel mumbled, still falling close by. You have to get us out of here. I tried to lift my mother again, but this time she resisted, summoning all her feeble strength. Dracon strafe sprayed the pier. Die, she wheezed, eyes fixed on a small gray spot an inch from the edge. Visor one. Mom, stop. She fell forward, arm extended, clutching. Die! The bug ship flew in over the pool, blocking us from Drake on fire, hovering low just feet away. My mother's face was distorted. Real human tears ran from her cheeks. Rage, pain, joy. And then her hands squished the parasite. But the slug was still alive. No! I slammed my foot on the still wriggling worm, and it was clear. It was clear that Visor One's journey had ended. So it's great. They they both like she just like squeezes it in her hand, but it's not completely dead. It's just like I guess pretty mortally wounded. And then Marco, before it can fall into the the pool, Marco squishes it with his gorilla foot. Good, yeah. And you know there was a part of me that expected uh, maybe for Visor One's Yurk to get away and maybe come back for a final confrontation in a later book, but nope. That plot is wrapped up, sir, and uh, like I said, it's all about how his parents are now going to make amends moving forward. Um, yeah, and we even have a great moment when they're escaping. Uh, they're struggling with the bug fighter that they stole, and uh, Eva, his mom, his real mom, she still has all these memories from being, you know, Visor One, and she like teaches Axe how to how to um, pilot the ship a little better. Um, yeah, see, or she's get already them, or get useful. them out of there. Yeah, it gets them out of a situation where they they needed like a burst of energy to escape, and uh, and she does that. So it's just they have they actually got a pretty powerful ally that they never really brought up in the books before. Like saving Visor One was always for Marco uh, and getting his mom back, but it's it's a pretty powerful ally just having her and her knowledge. Yeah, like I uh, just said, um, she's a useful character. Definitely want to add that one to the party. Uh, I'm gonna rake in a lot of extra XP. If you mm-hmm. have her equipped with her science equipment. Um, Just as level four trident. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, the the final scene of the book, the little stinger scene, is them using this uh, new Z-Space device to make a call to the Andalites. And uh, I'm, I'm going to do my own dramatic reading. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Uh I'm going to start it from right here. We have a connection, X said. All four of his eyelids blinked rapidly. His posture straightened. A voice, a scratchy, commanding voice. Who is this? demanded the Andalite officer on the other end. Who is initiating this contact? It was surreal. This voice, these words, are linked to another world. Jake signaled X to answer, but X shook his head. No. I believe this is your moment. Jake glanced at each of us, ran his hand through his hair. This is, he cleared his throat. He glanced back at Axe and smiled. Then he leaned in close to the device. This is Earth, he said. We do know who they are, and we know you too. What is that meant to? <laughs> I think it's supposed to be a, who, I think it's supposed to be a play on, um, on the, books like the 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 main summary you see before the summary of each book the you don't know who we are we, the whole we thing. can't tell you who we are or where we, we can't tell you who we are yeah yeah that that whole spiel i think it's supposed to be a play on that we do we but they change it so much we i know i know <laughs> I, I think that was the i think that was the intention to be dramatic we do know who they are and we know you too 
So yeah, it's it's a little awkward. It's a very writery ending line to be like the most impact. Um, I have a third dramatic reading, and it's from a section of the book that I think makes this uh, one of the best Animorphs books we've ever read. All right, hit hit me with it. Okay, Marco. He said in a whisper, "Was there any way to save Nora? Is there any way to save her now?" His words made me feel a little sick, but by now I knew that life and love were complicated. You know that I love her. I nodded and made the decision. Dad, what if Nora was a controller all along? What if the Yerks put her in your path because they knew you were involved in secret work? Pain nodded my father's face. My conscience was heavy. Permanent damage had been done. My family was back together, but not really. Not honestly. It was a desperate speculation, one that I hoped would make it easier for my dad. It didn't make it any easier for me. What are you saying? You were set up by the enemy, I said. You can't blame yourself. That, in my mind, is the darkest moment in the entire series so far. Uh, Marco lying to his dad about his stepmom and her being a your controller or not, just so that Marco can have his family back. That is super dark. Uh, and it's a character choice that really ethically puts Marco in a bad place. Yeah, you know, so it's a really interesting case of uh, the classic trope of a character finally getting what they want, except it happens in a way that uh, is not as they uh, wanted it to necessarily, and there's unintended consequences. And now Marco's gotten to the point where, you know, it's kind of like jamming together puzzle pieces that don't match anymore he just wants his family back he wants his dad and his mom together and he's he wants his life that he frankly just can't get back and the depths that he's willing to sink to now where you know he's very uh being emotionally manipulative of his father um, well u.s dutch kitty 84 in the chat uh makes a good point that the child within marco's brain peeks out um, so it's, it's both him, uh, in his new, you know, analytical self, his dark self doing that, but it's also the kid wanting his family back, like you said, but I think there's another layer to it where this is what makes it truly dark in my mind is the fact that Nora's not dead. He's not saying this post death. Nora could be saved just like any other character that they've run into in this situation. They could capture her, fake her death, just like they did Marco and his dad, uh, hold her for three days and get the yerk out of her head. They don't even attempt it. Like Marco puts his family back together so that Nora isn't a factor in ruining what he's put back together. That in my mind is super dark for this series. Like really, really dark. I Yeah. You know, you make a good point. That's very true. They could very easily, start you know collecting uh survivors or loved ones people that they want to actively protect now that they they notice um the yurk invasion is moving forward and i think especially in the next book you're you're gonna see even more escalation and more family members being brought into this uh story but like you said that's an excellent point is that marco rules out ever even thinking about going after Nora to the point where he actively makes his father, you know, quit questioning whether they should do that or not, which like you said, they very easily could. Right. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be easy and it puts things at risk, but it no more so than they've done in the past, you know? Sure. And that's just Marco's kind of selfish desire to be like, no dad, 
<laughs> I know you like that lady, but we're done with her now. Maybe, uh, maybe after the war, you can still be friends with her or something. But uh, we got we got the family back together now. You, me, and mom. Yeah, that's that's crazy to me. I I read that and I was like, oh my gosh, that's that's the part that really made this book that that subplot building and then escalating in that way. Because I mean, ever since his stepmom came into the scene um he's he's not you know he got to the point where he didn't hate her anymore for like changing his life or trying to replace his mom or any of that um but he never liked her and this is the culmination of that is like hey man uh i'm totally yeah you're not you're not gonna be part uh, of this sacrificing you to the yurks just for uh my own purposes basically are you saying that to me personally yes but that is also how marco (laughs) felt about nora yeah, yeah, and her dumb dog. Uh, we don't know what happened to the dog. I assume it is now fed to Texans. It got Draconed in the fight. <laughs> um. It's very possible. It's very possible. It's going to be hard to uh, formally review this book, I think. I've been struggling with it. You, you can go first. I I'll, I'll, want to hear what you have to say, and then I'll set all mine. Uh, sure, sure. Well, uh... I think it would be fair for me to just lead with my scoring and then justify it. Okay. Seems fair to me. And yeah, you know, I, this is it's just one of the best Animorphs books we've read in probably 10 to 15 or so episodes, like besides some of the Megamorphs and Chronicles books that we've read recently that were really fantastic. Um, this is definitely top tier Animorphs material. And for that, you know, it's five out of five. Uh, uh, I, why do I think of these things before I start doing this? <laughs> five out of five uh, sacrificed stepmoms. For sure. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I would sacrifice five stepmothers for this book. Because uh, it was that good. And here's why. Uh, like I said, one of the just best cold openings of any book ever. You're reading it. It's it's a very unfamiliar scene with Marco's family life, his dad being super upbeat, very happy. Uh, on to the discovery of Z-Space, which the readers should know the importance of. Marco certainly knows the importance of. It's a very strong start. Um, I just thought that all the characters acted extremely intelligently as they've been shown to do throughout the series. You know, they're, they're using all their skills they've learned. I think Marco made the right move in, in saving his father. Uh, like you said, him choosing specifically to like give Nora to the Yerks is, is much darker probably than what they even intended. Um, in fact, they could have, you know, not had Marco had that line and it would have just been like a coincidental, like in the background kind of, Oh, you know, he's kind of, throwing her out there but this like really makes it deliberate and intentional and for that yeah it's definitely uh, a messed up thing for marco um especially i i don't recall if they bring nora back into it um she might be in a book later on um just in kind of in passing but we'll see how that develops Anyway, it's a super interesting twist. It's great to get closure to the Visor One story that, like I said, started 40 books ago, um, back when we started this podcast in 2014. Whoa, that's scary. <laughs> it's 2019. 
now, and uh, things have changed in the world, uh, both in the real world and in the Animorphs world. And uh, yeah, I grew out my facial hair. Wow, way to go, buddy! You've you've really made the morph. Um, so yeah, like I said, five out of five. If you haven't gathered that just from listening to us talk about this one, I mean, we love this thing. If you were like a super uh, old-timey fan of Animorphs and wanted to do a brief reread of the series, just the best books, like, I think we could give you a pretty good list of like the first, you know, uh, five books or so from the start. And then like these last 10 are really fantastic, starting with this one. Um, it's very easy to see why, because it moves the plot forward in a satisfying way. It gives us all the interactions of the characters that we love, uh, acting very intelligently. Um, like I said, I didn't see a lot of the, the third act of this plot going forward the way it did, and it kind of surprised me a little bit, and it was very cool, actually. Now they have open connection to Andalites, and uh, I really want to see where this goes, especially with the Yurks stepping up their... Uh, open warfare game in the next book. And yeah, man, I'm all on board for these last books. I think 2019 is going to be the year we finish Animorphs uh, spectacularly and we move on to bigger and brighter things. So we got talking about the talking about the end of the book. I was surprised it got so almost Megamorph scale action uh, when they were in the York pool. That's probably the biggest fight we've seen in the York pool where you get, you have bug fighters, dog fighting, you have more, uh, uh, Horkbajir and Elite Horkbajir in the fight, and it's just a huge, huge battle scene. It's crazy. There's parts of the Yerk pool like falling down and like knocking the period. I don't think we gave that scene justice with our lack of notes <laughs> this book well, this time around. You know, but. it gets so hard to really intricately describe all these battle scenes because at a certain point, it's describing the same thing. They fought some Horkbajir. They're in a different location. It's a much larger. But we're cool. thought speak, damn it. We're, <laughs> it's up to us to break this down as as writers. Okay, and, so and, uh, and let's try and go over the uh, choreography for this fight scene. It looks like uh, the, the Horkbajir A through right slash uh, two times and then countered with a tail whip. Um, yeah, we could get into that kind of depth, but I don't think it's necessary. <laughs> Not not completely necessary, but there's some things that happen with like earth movers and and the way the battle plays out that you know uh, I'm kind of regretting we didn't go into. Yeah, well, but that's why we fine. do these reviews and we say this is a book well worth reading if that's your kind of thing. And boy howdy, it does not disappoint. It delivers. Yeah. So I'm gonna do a quick with my review. Uh, I actually really struggled between a four out of five and a five out of five because it was such a joy reading this book. It was an amazing book but i think we're kind of just um we've kind of forgotten how good these books could be and uh for that reason i think these are only going to get better i have to leave this at a four out of five blue banded uh hork bajirs uh, and it's a very very high four out of five it's how, right there on the line in what way was this not a perfect animorphs book so i think it does rush a little bit through the middle plot I think it has some amazing plot points happen, and it's payoff to so many storylines. But honestly, they could have done more with Visor 1. This is the end of Visor 1. That should have really been its own book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And they wanted to get this countdown started. Obviously, there was some decision made between the last book and this book that's like, okay, we're going to end the series. And that's incredibly exciting, and I'm not saying there was anything super bad about this book, but it could have been more fleshed out. It could have been more. 
Uh, and for that reason alone, as much as I loved it, it's not a bad score. It's a extremely high four out of five. No, I, uh, I actually understand. Uh, pacing is definitely odd in this book. It's, it's very fast in the beginning. Uh, like you said, there are some parts where they kind of skip over pretty quickly what seems like should be a bigger deal. Um, I was really thankful for it, just in the whole um, plot involvement with Marco's dad, uh, freeing him, bringing him into the fight. Um, I, I I really like that pacing. Um, but I guess, yeah, my only criticism for the book would have been they could have done a little, little, little bit more with Vizzer 1's death. But I really look at Vizzer just as that kind of last uh, take on the character. And this is and kind of a very fitting feel. Death. I understand what they did here, because how good does it feel to have both of Marco's parents free at the end of this book? That's that's incredibly exciting and, and, and great. And um, I honestly think the the rushing is almost justified by the subplot with uh, Marco's dad talking about Nora. It's like this situation is more complicated than we're giving it credit. And we're aware of that by that having that subplot in there. Uh, so it's almost like uh, I've been watching a lot of cooking shows lately. It's almost like you're cooking something too sweet and you add a little vinegar uh, to mellow it out and balance those flavors. And so they, they know what they're doing with this book. It's just as an Animorphs fan, I, I could see other avenues where they flesh things out more. But anyway, moving on, that was the revelation. Those are our reviews. Obviously, this is unskippable. You have to... I skipped this book <laughs> as an Animorphs fan, as a guy who started uh, this this longtime podcast uh, dedicated to Animorphs, I skipped this book in the next like four books, rookie four mistake. or five books, totally rookie mistake. And it's kind of about what my library had in stock and and what Walden books had and stuff. But I was fool, I was naive. Um, and I'm just so excited to read these for the first time. It's crazy. No, let me just say, yeah. Uh... If I could change one thing about this book, it would have been the ending. Instead of rushing with the whole, we're going to call the Andalite fleet for the ending, they could have given just a little bit more time to the death of Vizzer 1 and had Vizzer 1's uh, uh, final scene kind of dragged out to the very end there and had it end on them actually killing the Yurk Vizzer 1. I actually think what you could do to fix this is get... Um get uh visitor one out maybe have her like get into the pool just so she's gets a little candrona back and then recapture her before they leave and then uh have her be in um eva and you have a scene where they're starving the yurk out so then you would get like they're back at the free hork with your valley they're starving she's strapped to a chair somewhere and you get a couple scenes of them talking to visitor one before she dies i actually would have really liked yes that. that but it wouldn't have been as it wouldn't have been as actiony and and impactful as them ripping the slug apart on the pier before they get out. No, but they could have done an excellent scene with, like you said, uh, Visser 1 dying inside Eve and Marco's father being there to witness the process and see his, you know, wife in this, what looks like a really chaotic, painful uh, state. And uh, that would have been a powerful way to bring Marco's father um, out of his, like, Nora funk and be like, okay, I'm fully committed back to my old wife now. Like, like they like could have, they could have like done re-meeting that. his, like re-meeting his wife for the first time. Sort of, I yeah. Mean, like you yeah. said, you know, up until they get her there, and uh, you know, they just kind of hug, and um, it's alluded that they're they're doing some adult-like stuff on the beach a little later. Um, 
as the the team's calling the Andalites. Uh, but yeah, I think a, a scene like that would have definitely uh, helped turn things a little bit more positive, I guess, for this whole Marco, his dad, and his mom situation. Uh, as they left it, it's definitely on a very questionable note. So I like that it's kind of messy, though. It kind of lends to the plot of this book that that this adult complication relationships complications within these relationships aren't gonna just like fix themselves we're not gonna have a super happy ending to this book which is kind of cool for for the series sure and so many other things went perfectly right in this story that something's got to be left uh, a little uh unclean a little messy and that's definitely is family relationship going forward but uh yeah like you said man the revelation's good stuff and we've got only more good stuff to come uh, especially next time with the deception i'm honestly going to start reading that book probably right when we get off the air hey i wouldn't blame you if you read the the little snippet that's in the back of this book it's like oh my god that that event is finally happening right on i want to get to that <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I would expect as a listener uh, that we're going to ramp up these episodes just because we're dying to read these books. And as soon as our schedule allows us to record the next one, uh, keep a lookout for the for us announcing another live stream like this. Obviously, we got to get this episode out. Normal, got to do some editing on this one now. But um, yeah, this is we're an exciting time for Animorphs, and uh, you guys stick stick with us as we uh, end out the series. Heck yeah, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and especially if you want to join us on Patreon, uh, really helps the podcast keep going, helps us pump it out a little bit faster, uh, those ratings and reviews on iTunes and whatever platform you use to listen to the podcast, also super helpful, uh, maybe to go to our YouTube channel and like some of the old videos, uh, pump, up, pump up the old view count on some of them, uh, we're pretty new to YouTube as well, so... Uh, excited to be on that platform and making use of that. Yeah, and uh, we're on Twitter at, at Morphcast, and we're on Facebook, obviously, as well. So just keep a look at those channels, and you'll you'll be up to date on when we release new episodes and when we start talking about what the next book in our series are going to be. Um, I already see a lot of suggestions. Next- Somebody suggesting Michael Grant's Gone series, which I have really wanted to read. I have the whole series on my bookshelf. Haven't cracked into them yet. Maybe we'll get to it. Yeah, I don't think it'll be the next thing we do because we don't want to be seen as the K Applegate or the Michael Grant podcast. Um, it's not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just not what we're going for. So maybe we'll revisit Gone or something uh, a couple series from now or something like that. And I don't think we're going to be getting into any other series that are, you know, Animorph strong, 54 books plus, you know, Megamorphs plus, you know, all these other ones. So uh, expect us to, like, you know, hit another series that maybe has, like, four or five books in it or, um, you know, something like 12, something more manageable. Some standalone and, uh, books, perhaps? Yeah, we're definitely going to hit some standalone books as well. So it's just an exciting time for us. I, I can't wait to see what new fans we bring into the podcast through these other books. Yo, you want to talk? Right you want to talk Chronicles of Narnia? Oh, I was looking at that on the shelf at Half Price Books the other day. I would love. I think that for you and I yeah. and our religious discussions, I would love to talk about some Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, so would I. One of my favorite book series, oddly enough. They're amazing book series, and it's so surprising that you love them. Well, I just um, want to really do it, uh, one, because I love the series, and I know you do too, and another so that maybe we could do uh, his Dark Materials as well. Yeah, so Panzerpox in the chat 
uh, just asked, will it only be YA books? Uh, and I think it's not confined to YA books. It's more about books that we read when we were younger that impacted us in some way. So it's not, that's just a lot of YA books fall into that. Younger? Some of these books we're going to be going through, I just read like five to ten years ago. (laughs) That's true. But it's it's still nostalgic. nostalgic. I mean. Yeah, it's nostalgic. I read Circuit de Freak uh, in college because you introduced them to me. And there's a good chance that's our next uh, series we're going to jump into. So that's, that's incredibly recent for me. I would love to do that, yeah, as well as Artemis Fowl uh, series. Uh, a lot of these um, you described as middle-grade fiction. Um, yeah, it's something that, it's just, again, it's anything that we have to set for. I'd, I'd love to, I'm trying to track down um, some Dinotopia books that that maybe we could read somehow. Uh, I got a couple books, so just uh, quickly, there's a... Um, roller coaster at king's island in ohio where it's kind of our theme park we would go to and it's called the beast it's actually a fairly famous wooden roller coaster for a long time it was the longest wooden roller coaster uh in the world and they actually wrote um two uh almost goosebumps-esque books based on this roller coaster and they were ghostwritten by rl stein um under another pseudonym and um (laughs) <laughs> I, I loved both of those books. It's about kids who go on this roller coaster and they encounter a, a monster. Okay, we'll we'll read your spooky roller coaster fan fiction. <laughs> Whatever. Oh come on, ghost ghost written by R.L. Stein. That's pretty cool. Percy Jackson. I, I have not read the Percy Jackson series. Uh, I, I missed that whole one. I was a teacher at the time when that was kind of taking off in schools, so I saw a lot of. Uh, uh, fourth grade, fifth grade kids kind of reading that series, and Percy Jackson looks like something I would have read if it had been more in my time frame. It would, but I'm very particular in my Greek mythology series. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Are there other ones? <laughs> oh, Greek mythology? Yeah, there's always. I mean, I only read. Hercules. I only read spinoff novels of the Disney's Hercules. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I only watch Disney's Hercules cartoon series. It's actually pretty good. Okay. Anyway, but there's a ton of these series that I think we're going to be able to fill the podcast with. I'm so excited to talk about like Ender's Game and stuff. So uh, just keep a look at what we're going to do. We're always going to be listening to suggestions. But I think selfishly, it is going to be things that, at least at first, things that impacted us and that we care about. Well, here's the thing. So, it's going to be good um, books. If, if you like us and you like the stuff that we like, you're going to like these books, I think. We're not going to talk about bad books, generally, I think. <laughs> no we're gonna avoid the bad books i think i think you know obviously there's books that don't hold up as well in some of these series uh but i, I don't think we're gonna hit as many books like the animorphs books that there's some really bad ones that you just have to get through to get to the next one i don't think very many of the series that we want to talk about have those kind of books oh you know what come to think of it something that would be really fun for us to do i think and if you guys like it let us know is maybe you could recommend for us a bad book uh, that we could read and just kind of have fun laughing at, or we could read some of Ka's really old stuff. I've got uh, I- I've got an old relic of hers from her early writing days. Some old book. Uh, yeah, called... I know, you mention it every podcast. What what the Sharing <laughs> Sam book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned it last one too. I don't know if I did, but the point is, some of that older Ka stuff could be pretty uh, pretty amusing if we ever get around to doing an episode on that. Yeah. Anyway, but stick with us. Keep a look at our channels. 
Uh, I, I had so much fun reading this book and talking about it. I can't wait till the next one. Uh, let us know in the comments or uh, you know, emails at thoughtspeakcast um, at gmail.com or go to our website, thoughtspeakcast.com, and let us know uh, what we missed, what were your favorite parts of the book, and, and what you're looking forward to uh, in the rest of the series for us to talk about. So anyway, I've been Coleman. And I've been Mitchell, and thank you all for joining us on this very special live stream recording of our episode of Thoughtspeak. Have a good one, everybody. Peace.